Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999. I mean, it's not completely I... obvious, right? Did I say obvious? I mean, I, I'm just saying you could call your podcast Podcast 1999 and not be talking about Space 1999. There might sure, be another you... podcast with the name, but they did like you know... two episodes in 2020, so I didn't really feel the need to worry about them. I'm assuming we have at least like 20 episodes podcasts about just y2k right like that could all those could be called, called podcast 1999 yeah maybe yes. we'll get into y2k on this podcast well we have a lot of computer today that's for sure hi anyway i'm oh i'm mark i, <laughs> I, I jumped your and we answer. have we have a guest brian oh, hi. hi hello i'm brian hello He's one. He's one of our guests that knows way more about this show than we do. So Mark's going to do his trivia about Garden like of Fury, and then running thread here. <laughs> that is kind of the running thread. Hey Brian, you got the 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 book within Grab Shot? Oh, I've got multiple books within the Grab Shot. No, the or, book. You know what I'm talking about. The book. About. <laughs> I, I like this format where you know a lot of times there's a podcast where there's the the person who's the expert and the person who is the sort of unwitting person is getting dragged into the, and it's just always our guests or the experts and we're getting dragged in series. I wouldn't uh, call myself an expert, but I have been following this show from day one. So I guess that makes me yeah. the longest uh, running fan on the show so far. I don't know if John beats me to that degree. He existed at that time, but he was, he's a bit younger than me. So right. anyway, that, that Space 1999 book you got a few weeks ago looked like a murder weapon was my point. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a little backstory? I, I'll, go, I'll try to make it fast. Um, in the 70s, they published novelizations of Space 1999 episodes as they did with Star Trek. James Blish wrote a bunch of novelizations of Star Trek episodes. These books were a little more, they took four episodes and tried to bridge them together, which kind of was a weird approach to make it one contiguous novel. And this story appears in the third volume. I'll hold it up in here. It's called The Space Guardians with a shot from a different episode. And <laughs> there's only like three stories in this one. Um, oddly enough, there usually were four. And this is the only one written by a man named Brian Ball. And The Guardian of Piri was the third and final story in here. And he tied it in with the previous two episodes, which were, I believe, um, Missing Link, which we've done so far, correct? recorded that one and force of life have we done force of life is that not in yet the viewing order so they might be these books like, are yeah, nearly in the same yeah these books are nearly in the same i assume production order and therefore the viewing order that we're seeing them on on our on our discs um force of life is next week just to to throw that out there <laughs> oh okay because this one kind of starts with you know the fallout from force of life and they're kind of like regrouping and then it goes into the guardian of Piri. And uh, the adaptation is weird because it's very clearly based on uh, a draft script, which is a problem that James Blish ran into with Star Trek. His, his stories didn't quite line up with what you saw in the episode. So anyway, this was the only uh, uh, printed version of it for a while. It has some interesting zingers in it. I'll get back to it later. But as you're well aware, I recently picked up here for the viewers at home <laughs> this thing. That's the murder <laughs> weapon. <laughs> which uh for the it podcast viewers like... it is a very large like 700 page hardcover it's upside down um space 1999 year one which is a collection of all these paperbacks put together broken apart into individual episodes again uh rewritten heavily and i can tell you right now for uh guardian of Piri, i didn't even get through reading it in this book but uh they, they very clearly did a transcript of the episode i mean it is you know scene and and line pretty much identical to what you saw in the story but there are interesting little bits of uh backstory 
that made it into the old one if they were not in this one and vice versa and we'll get into all of that i guess in a minute but, there's uh, no definitive version for the reader yeah I it's kind of like a... hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy there's like five <laughs> different versions of it okay. but there is a nice definitive version for the tv series which i guess is what we're talking about today so uh mark you want to fall into your trivia pit okay here we go trivia pit activate I'm sorry, that didn't make any sense. Uh, this episode was directed by Charles Crichton, who you may remember from Matter of Life and Death and Earthbound. He still has 11 more episodes to go to direct, five in season one, and then six in season two. The script was written by the Andersons with Christopher Penfold uncredited as the co-writer. I assume that means he didn't do a whole lot or they screwed him over really bad. We'll never know unless we read more about it. You do it, listeners. Uh, an Italian TV company named RAI had agreed to co-fund the series, but this was the first episode where they actually visited the studio during filming, which kept the cast and crew on their toes. There was a provision that Italian guest stars would appear on the series, but that wouldn't come to fruition until near the end of season one. So look forward to more Italians. I know I am. Uh, our main guest star this week is Catherine Schell as the servant of the Guardian. She was born in Hungary in 1944, and her real name is Katharina Freinschel von Boschlott, and she was once from a wealthy German family. Oh, sorry. She was from a once wealthy German family. Her parents, the Baron Paul Schell von Boschlott and Countess Katharina Maria Etelka Georgina Elizabeth Telecki de Sick, had their estate confiscated by the Nazis in World War II. The family then lived in poverty and sought refuge in Vienna and Salzburg before emigrating to the United States. They then moved uh, back to Munich in the 1950s, where Catherine developed an interest in acting. After appearing in a few German films, she married actor William Marlowe and moved to London, where she took on many roles in film and TV, including On Her Majesty's Secret Service, four episodes of Doctor Who, and The Island of Adventure. However, mm -hmm. she is... <laughs> I had to throw something in there that sounded fun. Whatever. However, she is considered most well-known for her role as a series regular playing the character Maya in season two of Space 1999. Obviously, I was going to say you deserve a strudel for all those pronunciations. Thank you. I would love a strudel. Uh, obviously, we will get to that later. She was actually the first actress considered for the role of Captain Janeway in Star Trek Voyager, but that role soon went to Genevieve Bujold. Then and the resigned. rest is history. She resigned. She resigned two days into filming because she didn't like making TV shows. Then it obviously went to Kate Mulgrew. Uh, her most recent role was in Rob Zombie's The Monsters in 2022. Uh, Earlier in the episode, we have Michael Culver as Pete. He was born in London in 1938 and has several mostly British TV and film credits. You can catch him in Conduct Unbecoming, Softly, Softy, Softly, Softly, Task Force. There's a colon in there. Softly, softly, colon, task force. And the Empire Strikes Back as Captain Nida. Finally, we have John Lee Barber as Ed, the Eagle Pilot. IMDb has nothing on him except that he's in three episodes of Space 1999. You'll see him in another season one episode as an alien, and one season two episode as an unnamed Eagle Pilot, who I guess we'll just name Ed. That's, that's trivia. Ed... Ed. I missed the Star Wars. I think there are two more people who are in Star Wars, but it's always uh, Star Wars. a lot. Yeah. I got know. I got really caught up with all the German stuff. They have stars in space. True. So it all fits together. All stars. Lots of stars. Most of the stars are in space. Well, now I gotta go back and look at his face and say, oh yeah, Captain Nita. <laughs> space Wars like the, the way star wars works is you hear a name and you're like wait was he a human star <laughs> 1999 that sounds more like a disco tastic sort of movie star 1999 <laughs> just sounds like a lady gaga album yeah <laughs> Moonbase alpha has encountered a pink planet and the crew is not sure if it will be suitable for project exodus an eagle investigating the planet disappears from scanners it turns out that, that computer has been outputting incorrect data when it comes to the g-forces and planet's ability to support life dr bergman's artificial heart almost fails even though computer says that oxygen levels are normal 
which puts its reliability even further into doubt. David Cano uses a special implant in his brain to try and investigate the problem with the computer, but somehow when hooking up to it, he disappears. Koenig decides to go to the planet to investigate for himself. He finds Kano along with the two men missing from the Eagle earlier on the planet's surface in a catatonic state. A servant of the guardian of the planet known as Piri appears to tell Koenig that time has stopped for the men in order to make them more perfect and the same can be achieved for the rest of the Alphans. Koenig is not interested. Meanwhile, the rest of the crew on Alpha has started celebrating being locked into Piri's orbit because they're now under its influence and have become way too much fun for their own good. Koenig tries reasoning with them and then ripping boards out of computer after it sides the Pyrians as well, but he's sedated and locked in a room. Meanwhile, the Alphans all head to the surface of the planet where they start relaxing in various states of undress. Koenig heads back to the surface. He manages to snap Dr. Russell out of the trance using shock therapy, but the servant of the Guardian still has the rest of the crew brainwashed into being out for their blood. Koenig then makes everyone realize that there are no Pyrians, and in fact, the idea of perfection is just another way of saying death. He then shoots the servant of the Guardian in the face and throws her down some stairs, leading to a chain reaction that starts destroying the planet and sends Moonbase Alpha out of Piri's orbit. The crew heads to the Eagles to escape. Later, when back on Alpha, heading away from the planet, they realize that in the Guardian's absence, life has returned to Piri, and they wonder if they should have stayed. Um, best set ever in this? I mean, at least on this series so far? Ah, beautiful set. I'm going to vote that the best set so far for Space 1999, which is the alien planet with a weirdly multicolored checkered floor and um, bizarre <laughs> orbs all over the place. So, Yeah, well, I was wondering if this is the planet where they grow rovers. And they ship them off to the village. Oh. Indeed. Possibly. It's a little it, prisoner reference there for you. Yeah. I did think too, as um, I think Victor was looking at them or something, or maybe, uh, maybe it was Koenig. I don't remember. Someone's looking at them. I was like, well, this is the same MO of like getting a face hugger on you and alien, you know, or Prometheus <laughs> and just being like, Hey, I wonder what's in there. And, and nothing bad, at least in that sense of the word, happens. Other bad things happen, but they don't have to do with the orbs opening and um, infecting yeah. you. So <laughs> that, that's nice. Maybe. I mean, they probably would have eventually if they'd stayed there. You think so? I thought they were just going to, like, apathetically sit there till they died was the, the idea. The scary yeah, thing is just... we know that, that there was someone alive there before, and there's no trace of them. Well, they'd so... decomposed. That's a lot of decomposing, man. Usually skeletons... Yeah, I was going to say, there should be lost skeletons lying around, but maybe it happened so long ago. <laughs> maybe yeah, the trees maybe are still there. So The servant of the Guardian was just bored, so she went around like collecting skeletons and put them in the basement somewhere. Making like Lego sets out of them, building things. Yeah. With the skeleton parts. Yeah, she yeah, doing them. like the Alien Covenant, like making art out of them. Right. Maybe she just put them in a pit like they did on... Uh, um. Spoiler alert, there's an episode of the Orville about the Kalon's origin. <laughs> seen that? Oh my god, I hope everyone I hope no one got spoiled by that. No, oh, no. I'm mm. not gonna say anything more. Mm. Well, it's been that out was quite for a, a couple that of was years quite now. a shock. I, I watched it super late, but since I've watched <laughs> it, I don't have any problem. So if if it's still a spoiler for you, you've been waiting too long is the, the baseline. But <laughs> yeah, you should I have mean, been like me and watched it in August, you slacker of twenty twenty three. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I was just going to throw out there that, uh, you know, bones and chains, those are always good things to have in your sci-fi's indoor horrors or, or combinations of, of the both. So I mean, every Mario game has that. Right. Yay. <laughs> well, there's something to be said for the simplicity of just barrenness, like nothing there at all. Yeah, um, I wrote for the... this one, the planet of balls, rocks, and mist. Uh, mist, of course, spelled M-Y-S-T. Oh, and then I thought it was, when oh. they got closer, I thought it might be Candyland. So, mm. so... Well, going back, to, can I go back to the book for a second? Yeah, sure. There was no, um, again, first uh, the first edition, the uh, probably based on a rough draft or, you know, first draft. Uh, there was no trees with balls or anything like that. It was just, and it kind of depended on your point of view. If you were under the influence, it was a paradise with grass and rivers and everything was pretty. But if you weren't under the influence, it was all, how do they describe it? Black rocks and grit sand. And then the Guardian was basically a tower, which was either glowing white and beautiful if you're under its influence or 
a big black thing that had very you know baradour vibes to it it was <laughs> tower of sauron sort of thing but without the eye on the top I mean, that uh, would have been cool if they'd done a different viewpoint for koenig but did uh, did i miss was there any explanation of why koenig was okay but everybody else wasn't like why it didn't affect him and it affected everyone else geez someone just brought that up a few days ago <laughs> okay was it me i think yes, it, was it was me yes it was. um going <laughs> back to the a... book um uh. we've all seen missing link at this point and that's what the, one of the first stories in this book and koenig is kind of amazed by it too but he thinks that his experiences with ron and the planet zeno and everything had somehow bolstered his mental abilities that he was able to resist the guardian and its influence as a result of that and that's how the author of the book retcons it so in the episode itself no we're just supposed to believe that he's omnipotent like captain kirk and can fight off anything that you know affects everybody else there's a lot of uh you know this side of paradise vibes to this episode where everybody's all high and happy yay we're gonna go off and sit under a tree sort of thing so i mean if we're head cannoning oh. which i guess a book's a little better in head cannoning but <laughs> when everyone on moon base alpha gets wacky he's in transit so that could also like no one else is in transit at that moment so i could mm -hmm. maybe write that in uh, in my head cannon is something that explains it but it's kind yeah, of funny is that alan goes to the to the planet at the second trip in the eagle and comes back unaffected so that was weird the first crew were affected but he wasn't so there's no explanation of that either <laughs> the guardian yeah, i guess has some kind of you know game plan some kind of sentience i mean even if it is like some, an ai sentience it's maybe thinking about what it's doing a little bit this this still kind of falls under the uh under the umbrella of plot armor though it does. it's just kind of mm -hmm. like and and it's very serious plot armor because the different i mean he barely even gets everything done that needs to get done to get him off the planet i mean this feels like the closest call that they've even had for like their entire civilization if you count the moon is one civilization i guess you can but it's like their whole squad was like very close to doomed <laughs> at this point like it very close yes the fact that he was able to just shoot the robot in the face throw it down the stairs and get out of it that way which you know that might not have worked Nah, that felt did. a little rushed. I have to confess. I, did. I definitely <laughs> didn't even logic it to death like Landrew or something. You know, <laughs> that I, that would have been preferable, but it was like they were just sort of out of time. Landrew like, didn't have a face to shoot it in. Like maybe, <laughs> like maybe they could have spent a little bit less time partying. But maybe the Italians were like, "Hey, why not party more, more party partying?" Anyway, is this where we should put the summary? No, that was right after your trivia. You've done the summary. Oh, okay, to good. The to the listener, you've already so cut done that it. out. That's amazing. So cut that out. No, I'm not. It's cut in that there. out too. <laughs> cut that out too. No, no, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm cutting out everything after. Matt this. leaves in all the embarrassing gaps. Y2K. Y2K. <laughs> Y2K. Anyway, um, yeah, this is this really is another one of those things where, you know, no offense to Star Trek, but this this show is routinely in way in certain ways much more beautiful than any Star Trek of of most eras. However, it's dumber than Star Trek in some ways. <laughs> well, that's uh, and, that's why we have the, the comparison, you know, and at uh, the same time, you can see as uh, since we're watching in production or you can see that Martin Landau is absolutely becoming Captain Kirk. He is getting more like getting more into just yelling stuff at people, which I appreciate. I'm enjoying that turn. He's probably really frustrated because this series is probably very hard to make, but. And and I definitely li did like, the, I mean, I guess maybe when you watch Trek and you see something like naked time, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's fun, but here it was, it just seems so much stronger maybe because up to this point, the characters have been pretty like buttoned down. So watching, um, mm -hmm. Dr. Russell going around giggling the entire time is, is fun. And Victor's kind of doing this like 25 years early Austin Powers impression. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's like scarier because you always bring up the point that there's a bunch of existential dread here. And it's like scarier that as we're not given any reason why Koenig is um, like the whole time I was sort of just waiting for Koenig to sub 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 uh, get subdued by this like to to fall to it 
and uh so it kind of the the dumbness of it is kind of makes it more stressful sometimes which is to its credit <laughs> you know okay, and it just feels that, like uh, they're almost doomed you know right? it's interesting the first person on the base who falls under the influence of it and it's kind of gradual is victor Mm-hmm. And it's like he's like the most logical, rational person other than maybe Kano with his, you know, obsession with computer being everything and, you know, a bag of chips <laughs> in his yeah. life. But um, I didn't I didn't know if that played into the uh, the fact that he has this artificial heart, which they wrote into the story again, was not in the original adaptation. But yeah, uh, I think they kind of made it clear that it people in. with, you know, quote unquote, bionic parts were affected first because. Uh, let Kano has like the Neuralink thing in his head, so he's <laughs> yeah, also Neuralink. He's Prescient. also <laughs> affected. Well, yeah. that's I mean, literally what it is, isn't it? <laughs> Except but it doesn't have the, Wi-Fi. They have to plug them in. Well, the idea right. of the computer being unreliable is scary in this in this show because it really seems like they don't know what is going on with the computer, and all they could do, think of to do is oh, sorry, not the computer with computer. Mm-hmm. Seems like computer. all they can think to do is to turn computer off more and then at some point coding is just ripping boards out of it <laughs> and just like oh boy he couldn't he not... couldn't do it any other way so it got to like a hell nine thousand moment there <laughs> like, like, yeah that's yeah, what i'll say dave you bowman know. on bath thoughts um. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed again it seemed like a captain kirk thing but it also seemed dumber than something captain kirk would do right well, he'd he'd nicely pull out the isolinear chips and not just rip them out with. He, I don't know my memory. I don't like, think he I would don't... pull out his own computer. I've never. I maybe Spock, I'm wrong. Spock Someone did a number on something. the science console and the uh, in the motion picture when Viger's downloading all their stuff. Um, he just he just yeah. uh, smashes the board. So that's kind of the same thing. Well, see, I, watching that, I was probably like, well, this this movie costs two hundred million dollars. I'm sure they have enough money for more computers. Yeah. Well, this show had enough money for more Eagles, didn't it? <laughs> sort of. I mean, th- this is is this the first episode we haven't had an Eagle blow up? <laughs> Even though yeah. we had one that was um, really... Yeah, we had a lot of Eagle launches. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of Eagle launches. <laughs> if they can't blow it up, they'll always show it being launched. <laughs> Here's my question. It, was that all the Eagles, or did they leave Eagles behind? Do they have more Eagles than crew? No, they implied they left was... a, an Eagle for, for Koenig, right? Yeah, but they might have left like ten. You know, they just had one like prepared huh. for him. <laughs> it was like another well, the thing. Yeah, blow that, up. <laughs> that shot with the moon sort of leaving the orbit of Peary was also terrifying to me because <laughs> it's just if you see the moon doing that and it's moving <laughs> so fast, it's like that, oh that, man. Yeah. <laughs> I did love that. Oh crap! Get, get back to the eagles. <laughs> <laughs> And you have to run into the eagles and hope you catch up. I I, I guess it's wow, not clear how I'm... fast these things are, but uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, I hope I never see Earth's moon do anything like that. Like, mm. really, really hope. <laughs> well, you did 24 years ago. Oh, yeah, oh. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> As we record this in <laughs> eight, eight episodes ago or so. Mm. Um, okay, but I... in real life, though. Yeah. Well, uh, also, I thought it was fun that like half the crew decides to I mean, they're 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 basically uh, doing shorthand for like half the crew gets naked. Right. I mean, they're wearing towels or or they've taken their shirt off uh, when, they, <laughs> yeah, when you first see lewd. Alan, when you first see Alan uh, in that scene, he's, it's from the waist up. So I was like, uh-huh. oh, he's not wearing pants. Alan's <laughs> Alan's gotten rid of his pants. <laughs> well, I mean, the like, guard, the servant of the guardian is dressed very lightly you know she's wearing some i didn't yeah, even the... notice what she was wearing until the second time she appeared i guess because it was more noticeable with the lighting on the ship when she appeared to uh koenig mm. and i was like whoa dude man i can't believe this existed this is like the got it in the back after hours room at studio 54 basically. <laughs> yeah, i got another interjection from like, from the book I got another interjection from the book. There are two scenes in this 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 episode as he wrote it. They were a little risque <laughs> and piqued my interest as a, you know, barely pubescent kid. <laughs> and one is that when Koenig is introduced, the guardian comes to him and gives him that big kiss. Um, she's her robes are open. He, he gets kind of gets the full Monty <laughs> from her. And in later on when Helena's on the planet and he has to drag her off to the Eagle to 
try to fix her um her robe's open too and i'm like whoa <laughs> you can't put that on tv you can't put that in a book that a, a kid can buy in a store <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want to believe the Italians are just like doing this with their hands and be like, "Hey, let's get put some more of the naked in." Am I being really offensive? Maybe <laughs> it's still okay. Um, if you're listening from the future when it's offensive to do that, then we we apologize and we've learned our lesson in the future. In the future, yeah. In the future, clearly. Well, I don't know. I just wanted. I just want to do a Mario voice now, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now the Mario voice is just, "Hey, I'm Chris Pratt. I'm not gonna. <laughs> no, no, I want to. Please do don't one. cancel I want to do the other one, or you just be Bob Hoskins. I'm Mario, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pretty rad. I wish that had happened. Should've my students decided I looked like Mario last week because I was wearing a red red shirt, and then I put on my my kind of well, I put on um this hat. So they decided I was Mario. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I was going to lunch, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes. I, I mean, even in the episode, you know, um, I'm sure Catherine Shell made many prepubescents feel something a little <laughs> naughty. <laughs> I mean, she's literally German royalty. Yeah, yeah. So that's groovy. Uh, oh, but, uh, mm -hmm. another deep cut on the on the track. Um, I did wonder if when gonna gets back and they're having a party i was like oh this must be what the enterprise's uh science department christmas party must have been like as <laughs> 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 this reference to in season one of, of trek so mm -hmm. but yeah they, they were partying down yeah. i guess you've been pent up on this moon base for however many months now let's say four just to choose a number and now you got time to party down let's do it yeah yeah probably four months in a hundred billion light years or something like that the bad thing is they got rid of all their hooch with the party. So I do, I do like the doing. Was it the medical examination with like yeah. a scotch and <laughs> <head? laughs> Yeah, he's just like, hey, you passed out at the party. Here's a scotch. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that I, little moment with Matthias. Yeah. <laughs> in my notes, I just put, I can't believe that they bothered to put a bandage on his head while he was unconscious, and or a splint on his arm because yeah. he, you know, yeah. Alan broke his arm in that fight. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dr. Russell's optic nerves were relaxed in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, I felt like this was just a better, like, let the hair down episode than, he, you know, than, like I said, Trek does a lot and they sometimes mm -hmm. do it well, but this one just, I guess it's just more pent up, um, stuff is coming out in this episode. Yeah. I found it scarier than when Trek does it specifically because it feels like, you know, a trick also frequently does. There's one person who's sane and everyone else isn't. That's sort of a trope there, but but it it never felt as harrowing as this. Well, it's never been part. like, oh, everyone's I mean, groovy now. I I will. It's not exactly the same thing, but I will say the Strange New Worlds episode where everyone was losing their memory. I found that like the most terrifying. That was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Really? Okay. You you have you have different realms of terror than I do, which is Yeah. Well, I'm very scared of like memory loss and things like that. That's why I've never really like ridden a bicycle. Did you watch Finding Dory? No, actually I didn't. That would be like your nightmare. Yeah, I think I've avoided it. <laughs> subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I've only seen Memento once. I thought it was just okay. Hmm. I've never seen Memento, weirdly enough. So <laughs> I mean it's the it's one of those things where there it's sort of like a quiet place where there's there's one gimmick and you can watch it t once and then you watch it a second time and that's yeah. pretty much it. I didn't see the Nolan he made before that. I didn't like Insomnia, although I saw it in the theater when it was out. Maybe I'd like it now. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I got on board with like the prestige and, and Batman Begins. Yeah. That's where I started digging Nolan. I think he's better when he's when he has a few things to do, but maybe not as many things to do as he has in Tenet. Like a right. medium, a medium amount of stuff. Mm -mm. Good. Yeah. Um, just as we're sitting here, having just seen the uh, well, uh, a very quality, very short treks, but I, I definitely loved uh, someone here. Like uh, mentions, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So uh. <laughs> I've seen that one. That was pretty good. I, the last one I watched was just was just a bunch of them all playing in a band for half of it, and I was kind of bored. 
Yeah, but uh, I just I just thought it was fun that I'm watching like an old school sci-fi with that line in it, like directly, yeah. like you know, which now sticks out as more of a cliche. Whereas two weeks well, ago, you just be like, whatever, that's what people say. So, well, there's also a line in this where the guardian, the servant of the guardian, says that making you perfect is the prime directive. Yes, yes, so. that seemed more of a di- direct uh, little. Uh, thumb uh, on the nose. So the prime directive is to kill all of you. Right. The we, prime directive is now to kill yeah. you. We ha- we have a lot of interesting Trek uh, parallels we can make with this one. Um, mega computer puts a society into a stagnant state. We've seen that with Landru. Yeah, we've seen it with Fall. We've seen it with uh, any number of of, of other episodes. Um, but um, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, Coney didn't talk his way through this one. He just. <laughs> took one lucky shot i guess and uh we got sort of a west world moment there with Catherine shell's robot face <laughs> and then mm-hmm. suddenly yeah. it explodes and it's like <laughs> yeah that seemed a little a little too convenient but yeah it was um, kind of like wait what that's it and yeah then who- star trek is not in the habit of of rewarding you for just killing the thing and then leaving <laughs> this is absolutely just oh you just had to kill you just had to kill her and leave that's all you ever <laughs> had to do here's my question in the next shot who ripped off Piri's arms? Well, she just fell down the stairs and they just he fell threw her off. down the stairs. Yeah, didn't they? Yeah, they, he threw her down the stairs. She just broke apart at that point. I, she's I pretty she's, fragile, actually. All he <laughs> yeah. had to do, he just <laughs> yeah. all he had to do was throw her down the stairs after shooting in the face. Okay. That's she's not very directive. well well built, I guess. I mean, she's well built in certain ways, but not like uh, mechanical ways. <laughs> so uh so there at one point. <laughs> One point, I think Alan says that they're at peace, and Koenig yells, "A piece of death." And I was yeah, like, I wrote this that episode down. should have been called "A piece of death." No, just "piece of death," right? Because it's peace. It should have been called "A P I E C E of death." Oh, okay. <laughs> the piece of death. Yeah. Just because that looks cool, but then it could be a double double meaning where it's well, also they were, P E C E of their death. Vibe. They were in mid orgy when he came to you know come be a buzzkill. I was going to say that yeah. Alan should have just said, Commander, you're harshing my mellow, you know? <laughs> well, it was also, there, hey, there was hey, sort of down, a, Commander. there was a duality here where Koenig was, not only was Koenig the only sane person, but he was immediately exactly, he knew exactly what was happening immediately and was enraged by it. But also a couple of times he seemed really kind of dumb about what was happening. Like he sort of uh, trusted people and then got like locked up because he was like hey uh, i don't remember what he said to dr russell that she just like sedated him because uh then later on he's like i was calling you why didn't she come like dude she's not obvious it's pretty obvious why she wasn't going to come like busy uh, man he's like the smartest person but also hopelessly oblivious at the same time we could say he's incredulous i mean if everyone around you does suddenly go whack it's gonna it's gonna it's going to harsh your vibe, you know, a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily, I don't know if I'm at a party full of same part. I'm at a party. Everyone I know is blackout drunk. I'm not going to be like, Hey, I was just calling your phone. Why didn't you pick up and then meet me outside? Just Cause you like, they're not going to, <laughs> you, you have to either uh, leave them there or you have to drag their, their corpse outside and throw them into an Uber or something. There was one moment where where Koenig started to detect something was wrong, and it was the first time that Victor referred to the planet by name in the conference. He pulls out his charts. I have been taking scans of the planet Piri, and he looks up sharply and everybody like, the planet what? But they don't follow that up with any dialogue or explanation. And then later he says it again in the medical center, and Koenig just kind of goes along with it. It's like, oh, I guess Victor's made up a name because heaven knows half the planet names in this show are just names that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Alphans bestow upon it because there's no one there and he's given it a name. But um, he seemed very like weary, leery of a, of, a, of a Victor at that moment. And then, you know, Victor just kept getting more and more space happy. <laughs> well, the know, first. I was um, at first I was like, this is like Piri Piri sauce. But now I realize that that is spelled P-E-R-I. So whoops. So did that ruin the episode for you? <laughs> yeah, it kind of did. <laughs> I was looking up the 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 um oh no wait Piri Piri is like the original s- spelling. That's oh okay, weird. you're good to go. Are you hungry? Kind of came from Africa. Yeah, totally. You guys ever had chicken with like Piri Piri sauce? It's delicious. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, near my office they have a 
a place called House of Piri Piri or something that we've mm-hmm. eaten there. <laughs> so good. Like good enough just to never leave. lose you my just, yeah. You just lie around in a blue towel. I, I, I would like a to blue see towel the... eating spicy chicken. Sounds wonderful. I would like to see in the next episode like half the crews wearing blue towels now because they had to leave Piri so quickly that they just don't have their their standard uniform anymore. There were a lot of com locks and stun guns lying on the ground that they just ran away from. So they had to replace all those. Yeah. <laughs> I assume they have fabrication plants on the moon base. You know, it's not, I like assume a... most of the stuff they packed up and was still on the Eagle. Cause as soon as they got there, they just hopped out and started sunning themselves. And so Chill. they didn't lose any serious equipment. <laughs> it was all just yeah. sitting in the Eagles. Makes They're sense. orbing themselves. They're pretty far from the sun. So you just getting you just remind to... me of something else. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, when you said never leave, I just suddenly got you know the Hotel California vibe there, which also attracts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a Margaritaville, but for uh, space. Um, I was gonna say, getting back to like things that seemed inexplicable, I have no idea why Koenig was surprised that there were no Pyrians since he never saw any. And it seemed yeah. very obvious that everybody was that there was just the scantily clad guardian lady and uh, nothing else there. Well, she makes you not notice anyone else around, right? I mean, so. he did pretty much make out with her as soon as she walked up to him. So he was like, hey, are there Sorry. other people around? So I guess he was like slightly influenced because he was like, sure, why not? Which I don't know. Uh, that seems <laughs> at that's the certain, moment that's they space, sh- man. They they shined the big blue light from the eye of the guardian on him. He uh, had a second, but then he shielded himself. You know, like don't look at the Ark Marion moment. You know, and he was okay. Here, I, I guess if I was going to nitpick, uh, the one thing it seems that um, Kano is teleported to the surface, but nobody else is. There's no teleportation that, except for Kano. That was really insane. I was just like, <laughs> see, because. That's felt like a whole thread where he was going to interface with the computer and it just ended didn't work. with didn't him work. teleporting. It ended with him teleporting to the planet for some reason and then being there catatonic. It's just that was a that was a later scene. I can tell you it was not in the original <laughs> again. Ah, okay. Maybe somebody that and the Bergman stuff was not in the original, so it got rewritten. I don't know. I, I get that the feeling, sense. like I said, I think there's some missing lines or scenes that were cut that would have explained things. Well, like know. we went into on an earlier episode that may or may not have actually uh, gone up yet, there's some uh, interference with like ITC in New York, and they started just being like, "You have to send me all the scripts." So it's like at after the first like three or four episodes, there's pretty much just interference with stuff, and mm-hmm. like it seems like every seems like every episode has one or two things. You're just like, "What? Hey, well, okay." Uh, well, sometimes that's the editor's knife, you know, or someone saying we we need the time. We got to lose something and they cut something that's semi-vital. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? In the States, was this uh, on PBS or was it on a syndicated or how, how did do you remember how this was shown? This was, you know, long before Next Gen, uh, a syndicated program for the most part. But I'll tell you what, in my market, uh, it was shown on a network station and during prime time it was on tuesday nights at eight o'clock at least the first season was second season got shown in syndication like on a sunday afternoon or something on a different station but that was bizarre in my mind because it's like i've never heard of a network of a network affiliate preempting a network show on a regular basis for a different show (laughs) and so that was very strange um (laughs) I'll tell you what shows they, they one of the shows that they uh, stepped on was Good Times because that was a CBS affiliate, CBS Tuesday night, eight o'clock Good Times with, you know, JJ and uh, and and, uh, and I thought later it's like, huh, convenient, mm, only like, you know, African-American uh, centered yeah, show on the air. Is when they not decide. Dynamite. I yeah, don't remember. Was not Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember this ever airing. Oh, in my childhood, but I remember Good Times airing all the time, so maybe it's just the market I was in. Good Times won out in the end, I guess. Atlanta Um, is, Atlanta is a Good Times town. Right. Maybe. Uh, I just can't imagine that (laughs) happening today. Oh, let's preempt, you know, (laughs) the, uh, Mm. the, the, the black comedy as opposed to any of the 
people's, you know, the, the white people's shows. <laughs> I don't know what preempting even means anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah but... more Italians, please. But a- anyway, obviously, my, my question was, does this need to be like just super trimmed down? And if it's syndicated, yeah, it needs to be running like 42 minutes, right? So the editor's knife would be a little unforgiving to minor plot points. Well, by today's standards, I mean, back then, even in the 60s, Star Trek episodes ran about 50 almost, and these ran about 52. In fact, coming from Britain, they have a tendency to run along just because that's their habit. <laughs> They're used to not having commercials. But I think all these episodes were around 50 minutes, which is that's oceans of time by today's standards. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was wondering if uh, syndication like kind of narrow. I feel like syndicated shows are usually slightly shorter because they might have done edits like at the station. I don't know. But because uh, well, I definitely know just because of how much I had watched them as opposed to almost anything else is that when Simpsons episodes ended up in syndication, a lot of my favorite jokes were cut because they'd be like super superfluous little jokes. This one mm-hmm. doesn't push the plot forward because that's what people are looking for. In yeah, because it's funny. So they cut it. Yeah, it's like uh, just well, still an interesting um, question. Because the, the remember this the, this whole season was produced before it was sold or aired. Remember, it was like the year before, so it seems like it was a done deal. It's like they just handed the episodes over to the American market and said, "Here, air these." <laughs> I I believe yeah, I believe it was something like they started this with the intention of syndicating it. So I guess I think maybe there wasn't that limitation where there had to be a hundred. Like obviously, there weren't a hundred episodes of this. Um. Maybe that was put in place later, but um, they might have you know, hoped to run a few more years. <laughs> well, they did, but it didn't happen, which right. I think that happened to UFO as well, didn't it? I mean, weren't they just going to make that indefinitely? And they're like, actually, no, you're not doing well. We're just going to pull the plug and then do this different thing. Well, that's the double short of making a sci-fi with no actual locations. Everything costs money now, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have standing sets, but and obviously they're reusing the same alien set and redressing it from week to week. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's still expensive stuff, you know. It's not just like shooting in an office or outside of a building or something. Interesting. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article on this. One of the first series made specifically for syndication, the 1953-1955 sitcom Life with Elizabeth, purposely ended its run after 65 episodes, concerned that producing more would saturate the market and reduce the package's value. That's kind of British TV where you have a series of six episodes, you know? Yeah. In recent years, the minimum number of episodes for off-network syndication has been set at 88 episodes. Mm. Although some programs have been relatively successful with fewer episodes, the Jetsons only aired 75 episodes. I believe that includes even the 80s ones. Wow. There's not that much Jetsons. The original run of Jetsons was like 15 episodes, I think. <laughs> right? Am I crazy? Yeah, no, 24. I did not, I did not come episodes. to do Jetsons the trivia. 20, <laughs> this is sci-fi, man. You got to like, you got to know all of it. Uh, 24 episodes in the initial run and then 50, sorry, 41 episodes in the second season, 80s, and then a third season with 10 episodes in the 80s, which is bizarre. Lazy. Two years after the first season. Okay. I wonder if I ever saw any of this stuff. I'm sure you did. <laughs> because you wouldn't have, just as a kid, you wouldn't have distinguished if it was 60s Jetsons or 80s oh, Jetsons. Oh, dude, no. I absolutely knew. Okay. 100%. It was very obvious. Okay. Also, this is 1985. I was like seven, so I would have been old enough to to know. But yeah, you you would know. Okay. The 60s ones younger. are much better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also... And also, you know, they introduced Orbity in the 80s, which is the Scrappy-Doo, basically. Oh, okay. Now that you're mentioning a, a few bells. Yeah. Already. I haven't actually Frank watched Welker. the Jetsons for 25 years. I mean, it's Frank Welker, so it's like at least they got somebody good to do it, but you know. Make lots and then of he did the, noises. Then he did the Nibbler in Futurama, which was the Scrappy-Doo of that show until they decided to make him smart or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As far as a Peary, did anyone have another big note they wanted to throw out? Um, mm. I got lots of little notes. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you want to want to give us a uh, a smattering. Why didn't the Guardian? Why didn't the Guardian just you know finally kill Koenig when he thought it was when they thought it was a threat? 
That's pretty smart. Fighting a mob to go after him. I think he's a little megalomaniacal, the, the Guardian. He's like, I'm going to make your people do my bidding, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, the bidding is just to lie around on orbs until you die is what how yeah that's up. the prime directive except when it wants something done and then it, it orders everybody to get up and genuflect and then go off kill somebody <laughs> <laughs> it's like what build okay. some more orbs it was literally just that she underestimated him and then he shot her in the face and threw her down the stairs so it's just <laughs> if she didn't know story when you say it that thought way. about that if she when she first met that. him he had a gun in his hand when she first met him she yeah. should have expected this <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, and he all he did was scream violently and 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 just lash out. And he obviously, I mean, and he woke somebody up. I don't even really understand what he did to wake Helen up, but you know, oh, I have a obviously question. Obviously, he's a threat. Hmm? Um, okay, you guys, which is more unnerving to you, happy Helena or smiling Spock? Hmm. Smiling Spock. Still more unnerving than Happy Helena. Happy yeah. Helena was pretty unnerving to me when I saw it. It's like, whoa, she is just out there. Okay, uh, <laughs> on disturbing level, um, bottom. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put smiling Spock under. Then then, laughing Helena, uh, Helena, and then above that, uh, laughing Cybok. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> laughing Cybok still more scary than laughing Spock. Okay, yeah. The the, the scariest to me was last week's screaming maniac uh, Bergman. It was like the fake Bergman that Ron made. I mean, it was just like, ah! you know, just sort of screaming about how he can't get out, how he can't get oh. off planet or what it was. I, I don't remember what he was. He had, he was going on about something. Right. Was scary. Scary. Nice good rants. Was your, was your note gun shot? You got a few more, I think. Oh, or let's see. Um, da, 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 da. We talked about all the Star Trek parallels. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Happy Helena. That one's just uh weird that sounds like a bavarian bar pub and sometimes whatever. you can tell Your they're house. not real science yeah they're not real science fiction writers when they use phrases like you entered our universe it's like oh you have your own universe you're not part of our universe <laughs> you just part wander of your world well solar system maybe you know galaxy even but what universe? if you go through the gate of the guardian maybe you're in a new universe now I'll say one thing about the Guardian as is depicted in this episode. Uh, I just want you to put a pin in this for later in the season. If you see a large oval shaped alien thing with a glowing eye in it, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to recognize that <laughs> later on. I'm not saying there's a connection, but it's an interesting design, a parallel between the we Guardian and the... Yeah, we just had the planet with the eye sitting in a brain, so like you got that already. <laughs> that was creepy when I was a kid. I was like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> the eye was bad enough, but the brain matter around it was what really sold it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're sort of in this pattern where I feel like we keep visiting planets that try to trap and kill everyone. It's like every planet is just a Venus flytrap. Well, I was going to say, a um, matter of life and death. That one's like. Get away, please get off our planet mm -hmm. ASAP, right? So this is kind of opposite of that. Well, it it is and it isn't because after they leave, they're like, Oh, there's life there. And then the last line is maybe we should have stayed. <laughs> so it's true. It's true. Whoops. But they could just well, yeah, I guess they can't could. <laughs> because the, the, the plot of the show requires them to keep moving. Oh, well, my, my I guess last they had everything they needed, right? So yeah. they could have stayed. Yeah, my note here is, oh, now he trusts the computer. <laughs> Excuse me, now he trusts computer. There's where I, made, I wrote it wrong in my good notes. Point. <laughs> It'd be funny if they just went back and then were like, wait a minute, and then the show ended. <laughs> <laughs> Computer's lying again. <laughs> Uh-oh. Wait, what? <laughs> freeze frame. Gotta have a freeze frame for that. <laughs> Yes, this show is the master of the freeze frame. Do any shows do freeze frames anymore? Has that completely fallen out of favor? I believe so. Yeah, I know that they did like one in Star Trek, and it was like one of those doop 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 moments, you know, <laughs> humorous thing with a freeze frame at the end. But yeah. they only did it once. I, mean, I want to see the return of the really freeze weird. frame. They were directly pairing that in Police Squad in like 1978. So, right, that's why it <laughs> needs to make a comeback. It's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> true. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'll, I'll put my question on the table. Which percentage of this is existential dread, and which one is how? Uh, what percentage is a uh, sci-fi fun? Dude, for uh, me, this is ninety-five dread. Yeah, dreading, dreading. Okay, this is dread, dready. Yeah, you want you want to paint that in words? I was worried. It made me. It made me. Maybe I've uh, been the only sober person in a group of people too many times. It was very stressful. <laughs> it felt. It felt like they were very close to certain death. And I guess this is the second episode in a row where Koenig is sort of powerless. And except somehow he pulls it out because of plot armor. But uh, yeah, dread. Right. Okay, Brian, how about for you? What, what's your percentages? Um, very, very close. I was going to give it more like an 80, maybe 85, because it is truly frightening. I mean, this is, a like you said, a trope from Star Trek. It's a trope from the Twilight Zone. In fact, a lot of Twilight Zones built in the notion that, you know, one person knows what's really going on and everyone else doesn't. It's like <laughs> or a cult. At least it's a cult thing, that way. right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like... Coney says in the episode, he says, I'm like, Victor, I'm the only sane person here. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, John, crazy guy. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, you know, that 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 paranoia level uh, is uh, is is very existential uh, dready. I'd give it a little more fun because I thought the set design was weird. I mean, we didn't know what the heck to make of these these trees <laughs> there was also in the long shots these balls were like floating in the air and i was wondering are they just anti-gravity or are, are they filled with hydrogen or something i don't know <laughs> it's probably all anti-grav i like the eagle that almost crashed and just sat like this for you know the whole episode yeah, apparently and cool. uh, uh, again going back to the books they say that when time continued to flow that eagle didn't fetch just barrel into the ground and crash <laughs> but by then they were off of it so i guess no one got killed but I guess that would be the one eagle crash of the episode, but they didn't have the budget to film it. I liked the wire work. I mean, they were clearly actually flying those suckers around those balls and around the guardian. And I, I thought that was uh, a lot of fun. Catherine shell, of course, was very off putting. She was described <laughs> in the books as, as being empty, an empty eyed girl. And she was kind of that way. She was just very, uh, you know, automaton like, in in a lot of ways but also strangely seductive <laughs> well it sounds weird but i didn't even really it was about halfway through the episode before i even realized i was gonna have to do trivia on her i was just thinking of her as a not not a not a person which is really strange i guess she did a great job <laughs> yeah I, I don't know all the weird design stuff um i i was coming more 50 50 uh hmm. i mean i thought giggling dr russell is entertaining um i definitely again i i just i instantly latched on to victor is doing an austin powers impression way too early and that just made me kept giggling me giggle through the, most of the episode he's like yeah it's all fine john don't worry baby you know yeah baby we'll take an eagle it won't be a problem <laughs> like i was keying into that sort of thing right so as opposed to having um your i'm a sober there we go i'm a sober dude and uh in the in vines of, of a bunch of whacked people so I, I was going 50 50 it didn't leave me feeling that to uh that unsettled not dissatisfied unsettled hmm. <laughs> so mark is more paranoid than me who's more paranoid than you i guess <laughs> yeah i feel like <laughs> matt and i haven't always been directly opposed on the these but i think i feel like there have been a few where i was i wasn't upset and he was and like vice versa maybe See, that's why it turned out to be a decent question. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> we had the same answer. That's good. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's just uh, fears are usually very personal. Like, I mean, I I got an MRI this past week for the, I think the second time, but whatever it was, I went in like, oh, I'm gonna be fine, and then I started freaking out halfway through it. Okay, and, uh, I've had a few MRIs. I, I was just kind of like whatever. So. My For whatever was, reason, yeah, I, I was like, "Do I have metal I, on me? I hope not. I have fillings. Is that a problem?" <laughs> Which I guess I asked it's not, about that. Yeah, <laughs> I was wearing like, um, you know, possibly TMI. I always wear this like these like mesh boxer briefs because they're the most comfortable things. And there was like a sign on the wall that said, "Modern clothing such as mesh has some metal fibers that can give you third degree burns." And I was like, <laughs> "They had told me to strip down to every." 
just my underwear. And then I was like, Hey, should I have, the, should I take this underwear off? And they're like, yeah, take it off. <laughs> so you were pulling your clothes. Are trying to kill fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Carter. No burns, no burns. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but, but the thing was, is that I, I underestimated my own fear. And then I just basically had to, pick a breathing cadence and then eventually calm down but it was uh you know so when we get to the mri episode of space 1999 you won't be so happy uh i i did find the second time okay but most importantly has to get mris most importantly like every child who was in a bunch of gifted classes they told me that i did really well at the end and that made everything fine mm. they said they, i did they were really proud well. of you yeah they're proud of me they said i did really well that I was a good boy. It's very smart, very exceptionally talented MRI patient. Mm, so you can be a professional MRI patient. <laughs> you were you were born to be scanned, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost everyone does terribly, but you did great. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, back when we did our podcast of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I got interrupted to go get my head scanned in the middle of the podcast. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> they just found a bunch of Godzilla in there. They did. Yeah. Godzilla that DNA in the brain. Were you podcasting from the hospital? How did you do Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, no podcast from anywhere, man. I've... Oh, my God. All right. You like there was, you know, one time that one time when I was podcasting from my car and I was actually. I, I honestly just wish I hadn't and just wish I just skipped that episode for the uh, Once Upon a Time in America, partly because I didn't like the movie and nobody else did either, but partly because <laughs> oh, I, oh, I was there. I remember. Yeah. I yeah. That movie. <laughs> yeah. It was like I. Yeah. But I sounded terrible on it. So it's just like I'm I'm basically I have a two hundred dollar microphone. If I was rich, I would have a. Whatever. If I was rich, I would have a five thousand dollar microphone. So I sounded better. That's how obsessed in my I car am. with a five thousand dollar microphone <laughs> you don't want to do that in Atlanta. yeah i can't take i couldn't i couldn't take this to my car i would need like all this external power i wouldn't be able to run it <laughs> that was just my phone microphone but i'm just i don't know i'm just trying yeah. to explain the contrast between that you and luke are sort of like yeah let's just do this thing and i'm just like no i must be in this carpeted room with this <laughs> microphone with the windscreen well, I, I know. I, I guess for me, I'm gonna go outside and just lie around on the ground for a while. So, um, yeah, maybe, actually, maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, it was never it's, it was never a problem except that one episode that where you just had cicadas super in your episode. I, I can't remember what it was. I remember uh, telling you about it. It might have been Batman Begins if I remember correctly. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I had a question. Another question. One more. Well, did you have a favorite line in this episode? Yeah. Oh, let's see what I wrote down. Uh, well, mine is death. definitely piece of death or when he said they're cabbages. I haven't yeah, noted about the cabbages. Did anybody oh, some else people get that message that said becoming a cabbage? Did, was that a message to me that said my internet connection was unstable? That comes up every once in a while. Um, okay. I didn't really write any direct quotes, so I guess nothing really stuck as far as like specific lines. My my second favorite was when Alan says, "It's a Marie Celeste," just because in Australian he pronounces it Marie instead of Marie Celeste. Marie Celeste. Oh, okay. I <laughs> but my favorite line was when was when the servant is rallying everybody. Her first line is, "Creatures of the moon." <laughs> it's like, well, they're not really creatures of the moon. I mean, yeah, they live there. Now they're but... of the moon. I mean, there's no other planet around them. <laughs> I mean, not like one that you know with them so you assume they're from the moon yeah <laughs> they're all immigrants they're all lunar immigrants everyone's an immigrant true <laughs> anyway okay oh there go up oh, mark did oh, get unstable hi. okay yeah you well, you were a freezy boy for a second oh, you just I was, glitched i saw you glitch just now my internet went away and my tv was blinking it does that it blinks when it doesn't have internet. That's why that sounds exciting. Then I guess I'll I'll do the the stuff at the end. Uh, are are we podcast nineteen ninety nine on anything like X? That's a question for you. Uh, not yet, but we okay. will be. We might be someday. Uh, you know, but you can find us uh, doing lots of podcasts on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius. We talk about really good and really bad movies on films and filth. 
like that aforementioned Once Upon a Time in America. We talk about the Twilight Zone and, well, One Step Beyond recently at Time Enough Podcast. You can hear some gaming stuff. Luke loves Pokemon. Is about all the Pokemon. Hyrule Field reports about Zelda. And the Game Game Show is British gamers and sometimes American gamers gaming each other about the games. Okay, there we go. I felt like I got like kind of shouty in the middle of that for some reason. Like, <laughs> like, like, like the uh, Kirk doing, or Shatner doing the the beginning of Star Trek. You know, where he slowly starts to yell a little more. <laughs> hmm. It's like if you if you Google if you search Facebook for podcast nineteen ninety nine there are a lot of posts about the guy who was the subject of the podcast serial being mm. released from prison because the killing happened in nineteen ninety nine so uh, okay no I did search have it set so I think we're safe yeah oh there's a person in Nicaragua but they have no followers okay we can we can delete their account I've searched their uh, I've searched their podcast. Listings and I didn't see one explicitly labeled podcast 1999. <laughs> so I think you're good, but there are a lot of podcasts that talk about 1999 for some reason. <laughs> it's a year that was. Mm, it was. Y2K. You know what? Why not 2K? 